delve into this episode, a quick programming note. Since leaving office, our favorite reality show star, ex-prez, has apparently lost 14 pounds due to a full-time steady diet of golf, and he has returned to a human skin tone, abandoning his trademark Cheeto Orange. Now, onto the show. But before we dive in, I have to say that out of all the characters in the Trump Mafia, this guy might be the most perplexing member of his cabal. There's so much talk and speculation about this guy's moves during the Trump regime that his name will live on, not just in infamy, but most likely in classrooms, boardrooms, and news departments for eons to come as a case study into our very own system of justice. Ladies and gents, may I present to you ex-Attorney General William Pelham Barr. I don't think it's necessary. I think that's overkill to uh, to put a, uh, a barrier from uh, one side of the border to the other. That's William Barr, what Steve Bannon would look like with a very minor glow-up. He's the top law enforcement official of our country. He plays the bagpipes. He thinks Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. And he believes the Mueller report, which specifically said did not exonerate the president, exonerated the president. William Pelham Barr was born in 1950 in New York City to a mother and father who both taught at Columbia University on the Upper West Side, the same school school Barr graduated from in 1973 with a master's degree in government and Chinese studies. After graduating, Barr worked in the Chinese unit for the CIA by day and attended classes at George Washington University's law school by night. He graduated in 1977 and left the agency for a clerkship with a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. In the early 80s, Barr served on the domestic policy staff in the Reagan administration before being tapped by George H.W. Bush to assistant Attorney General for the Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel. It was in this post that Barr exercised his summarize and redact muscle, the same muscle he'd go on to use for Home Alone 2 cameo star Donald J. Trump. Under George H.W. Bush, Barr wrote and tried to hide a very controversial legal opinion, seemingly suggesting that the U.S. could unilaterally, without the go-ahead from international governments, send its FBI agents to overthrow a foreign leader from power. Barr was asked to hand over the legal memo containing the rationale for allowing something like this. He declined and instead offered a 13-page document that summarized the principal conclusions. But when Congress eventually obtained the full memo in 1991, it was discovered that his summary left out some of the conclusions in the full memo, which is bad. What does bad mean? The Department of Justice, led by the Attorney General, has a unique role in our government. The Attorney General, as the nation's top law enforcement official, is entrusted with ensuring that the department acts with impartiality and independence to uphold the rule of law. And although the Attorney General is presidentially appointed and works within the executive branch, the Justice Department's mandate is to treat the people of the United States, not the President, as its client. 
We all know how that worked out. Under Attorney General Barr, the Justice Department has repeatedly strayed from its commitment to independence and the rule of law. And Barr has demonstrated a disregard for these values, putting personal and political priorities first and undermining the constitutional separation of powers. In short, he's acted like a stooge for the Don. Looking at Barr's track record since he became a made man for the Don father, I've identified a long string of actions that constitute serious misconduct and possibly may even inflict lasting damage to the Justice Department. Barr has on numerous occasions interfered with impartial prosecutions, prioritized politics over justice, undermined the independent special counsel's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, and hindered congressional oversight. When Bill Barr arrived at the Justice Department early last year, many people there breathed a sigh of relief. After all, he had been an attorney general before. People viewed him as an institutionalist who could protect the Justice Department from a chaotic president. Barr promised as much in his confirmation hearing. President Trump has sought no assurances, promises, or commitments from me of any kind, either express or implied, and I have not given him any, other than that I would run the department with professionalism and integrity. Instead, Barr's tenure has shaken the department like nothing since Watergate. Just this week, he loosened restrictions on certain election fraud investigations, seemingly backing the president's groundless claims of widespread election tampering. We're going to take a step back now and look at the Attorney General's time in office with someone who has followed his career for a long time, NPR National Justice Correspondent Kerry Johnson. Hi, Kerry. Hi, Ari. Start by telling us what Barr was like before he got to the Justice Department last year and why people expected him to be a very different kind of leader there. Bill Barr has always been a conservative Republican, but in the early 1990s, he won praise for how he managed the Justice Department. Under the first President Bush, he steered the Justice Department through a bad prison riot in Alabama. He focused on gun violence at a time when violent crime was higher than it is today. Now, let's remember that one reason Trump fired his first attorney general, Jeff Sessions, was that Sessions would not look out for Trump's personal legal interests, like Sessions recused himself from the Russia investigation. In contrast, how would you describe the relationship between President Trump and Bill Barr? It's been pretty close. The president has been dishing out compliments to Barr, calling him my attorney general. We should say there have also been times Barr's pushed back on President Trump, like when Trump was tweeting about specific cases, Barr said this to ABC News. To have public statements and tweets made about the department, about cases pending in the department, and about judges before whom we have cases make it impossible uh, for me to do my job and to assure the courts and the prosecutors in the, in the department uh, that we're doing our work with integrity. So how do you square a moment like that with Barr's other actions that we've been talking about? Barr did say at least a couple of times that he wished Trump would stop tweeting, that the tweets made it harder for Barr to do his job, and many of those tweets came about cases involving people close to the president. Here I'm thinking of Roger Stone, his longtime political advisor, Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor. Now we know the Justice Department has taken steps in those cases that are unusual to say the least. It's trying to drop the case against Flynn. It recommended a lighter sentence for Stone, who later got clemency from the president. Those moves actually led prosecutors to quit 
the cases, that's not something that happens at the Justice Department very often. Right, and we've spoken on this program to a prosecutor who departed publicly criticizing Barr as he left, saying he was weaponizing law enforcement on behalf of the president. That former prosecutor's name is Philip Halpern. Here's what he said. Donald Trump has made it crystal clear that there is simply no place in his administration for anyone who places loyal service to their country over blind obedience to him. And that's troubling to me because these are the actions of a dictator and not a patriot. And unfortunately, it's become all too clear that Bill Barr has chosen typically to play the lapdog and follow this president's lead. Even though hopes were high for Billy Barr to uphold the law and keep Trump in check, it just didn't happen. But why? Was the Don too much for him to handle? Or was Barr prioritizing politics over justice? Did Trump cause all that with his drain the swamp and fake news BS? Did he create a trail of scorched earth for Barr to follow? But here's where we're going to follow this smoky trail. Let's start with his March 24, 2019 mischaracterization of the Mueller report's findings. Barr offers what he describes as the principal conclusions of the 400-page report. Barr's letter revealed not only to have admitted basic context and detail, but to have used quotes in a manner that contradicts their real meaning in the report. So what's the result of this chicanery? He ends up sowing significant confusion about the special counsel's findings and conclusions and undermines a basic goal of the independent investigation. Increasing public knowledge about Russian interference and Trump's response to it. Quite a different bar from this interview I unearthed that he did in 1998. All right, so newly uncovered comments Attorney General William Barr made back in 1998 in an interview then are showing a much different tone than what we've seen from him in the past few weeks. This comes in the wake of scrutiny over how he handled the release of the Mueller report, holding that press conference the way he did before Congress even got their hands on it, Jim. Yeah, sound a little different back in 1988 in the interview. A completely different tone from Barr then. Barr says that he was, quote, disturbed that then Attorney General Janet Reno did not defend the independent counsel Ken Starr from what he called hatchet jobs during the Whitewater investigation. CNN K-File senior editor Andrew Kaczynski joins us now with, with more details. So, Andrew, of course, uh, different from his position and approach to Mueller's investigation. Yeah, uh, it's, it's quite a different tone uh, that we've seen than sort of this tepid defense that we have of Mueller. Now, this came in a 1998 interview with Investors Business Daily, uh, where he said the White House was attacking Starr basically with spin control, hatchet job, and uh, ad hominem attacks. Now, he was very disturbed that Janet Reno uh, was not defending Starr. Um, and what's so interesting about the way in which these uh, comments paint Barr is that in March of that year, uh, earlier, he had sent this letter um, where he said that he thought public comments uh, from the Clinton White House were meant to have the improper purpose of influencing and impeding an ongoing criminal investigation and possibly intimidating possible jurors. Simple as Jack and Coke, so is a fundamental tenet of the law that no man can be a judge in his own case. All the more so when the man is Tricky Trump. And that is why having some independent 
investigative authority to stand up against presidential criminality is so important. The special counsel provisions that authorized Robert Mueller's investigation of Donald Trump are a response to the age-old question, who will watch the watchman? How do we make sure that those who are responsible for leading us are not a threat to the citizens of the very union they are bound to protect? In an independent special counsel, our nation hoped it had found the answer, but we soon realized, once again, the air went out of the balloon, thanks to bars, undermined the special counsel operation. Given the enormous power prosecutors wield, politics cannot play a part in changing decisions. Any deviation from this is a blight to the rule of law, hindering it and interfering with impartial prosecution. President Trump on the White House South Lawn as he gets ready to board Marine One with a couple of big personnel announcements. He's nominated a longtime Washington attorney and former Attorney General William Barr to be his next Attorney General uh, in a move that will have to be confirmed by the Senate. Let's stick with Pete Williams here on the issue of the Department of Justice. Needless to say, this is an incredibly consequential pick. How do you think it will be received? Well, he's already been confirmed once. You know, we saw a lot of him this week uh, when all the uh, Bush 41 alumni were here in Washington. We saw a lot of Bill Barr in those gatherings at the Capitol and at the National Cathedral in the funeral and memorial services for President Bush. He's 68 years old. He worked in the CIA for a time. He was the acting attorney general, then the attorney general under the first Bush administration. So he's somebody who knows the department very well. He would not have a recusal issue because, of course, he did not campaign for the president. There are no conflicts that would force him to recuse himself from overseeing the Mueller investigation. I think it's an interesting timing here, Savannah, because I think for a while the prevailing thought was that the administration would not put someone forward for attorney general now until after the Mueller report comes out, because in the confirmation hearing, the main question is going to be, will you keep hands off Bob Mueller? Will you let him do his job? Will he be safe with you? Did you swear any loyalty to the president to ride herd on him? That's what the confirmation hearing is going to be all about. So I think the timing is interesting that they've decided to go ahead with this. Matt Whitaker will continue to serve as acting attorney general until uh, uh, someone is confirmed, if it in fact is Bill Barr. On May 13, 2019, Barr appoints John Durham, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut, to investigate the origins of the investigation of Russian election interference. Even though the Justice Department's inspector general had already begun a review into the Russian interference in the 2016 election, Barr has already falsely alleged that the government spied on the Trump campaign during that investigation and had asserted that the alleged spying was improperly motivated, raising the concern that his motive in assigning Durham is to advance a false political narrative rather than uncover criminal activity. Once again, Willie is lowering the bar on prioritizing politics over justice. On top of that, a couple months later, Barr, joined by John Durham, travels to Italy for an unusual meeting with Italian intelligence officials in an attempt 
to gather more information about the Russian interference in the 2016 election, which Durham is now investigating. The Italian Prime Minister later states that his government possessed no information relevant to Barr's efforts. Maybe they just wanted to have some pasta. Attorney General William Barr has appointed the U.S. attorney in Connecticut to investigate the origins of the Russia investigation. John Durham's inquiry will focus on whether the government's intelligence collection methods were, quote, lawful and appropriate. President Trump has accused the FBI of illegally spying on his campaign. The FBI has disputed that. This is the third inquiry into the origin of the special counsel's investigation. So Paula Reed is joining us now from our Washington bureau. Investigate the investigators three times over. There are two other inquiries into what started the Russia investigation. Why is the attorney general starting yet another one? This is clearly something that will be pleasing to the president, who has repeatedly claimed that there was illegal spying on his campaign, even though several top justice appointed officials who, who he selected personally, part of his cabinet, have denied this ever occurred. It said any surveillance was supported uh, by a judge's authorization. When he was the incoming attorney general, William Barr, there was some excitement, some optimism that maybe he would return things within the halls of Maine justice to business as usual, and they could get away from all the controversy of the Russia investigation. But so far, the way he's handled the Mueller report, his comments about, quote, spying on the Trump campaign, have raised a lot of red flags about whether or not he is here to sort of help the president through 2020 with his legal problems, or if he is actually there to help the rank and file and support them in their work. Immediately following the release of the Mueller report, Barr issues a statement with numerous false statements that contradict the report's conclusions. Barr states that the FBI launched an intrusive investigation of a U.S. presidential campaign on the thinnest of suspicions, despite the report's determination that the investigations were properly predicated and surveillance was not directed at individuals while they were serving as campaign officials. Barr also claims that surveillance was pushed forward for the duration of the campaign and deep into President Trump's administration. Despite the fact that there is no evidence that any members of the administration were ever targeted for surveillance, once again, Babar, the GOP elephant, not the cute kid story one, breaks another judicial and constitutional taboo, interfering with impartial prosecutions and trying to undermine the special counsel. Let me take a second explain why this is so fucked up of Barr. Checks and balances are the immune system of our democracy, vital to its functioning and survival. Our Constitution designed Congress to be a rigorous check on the executive in creating laws that set the bounds of executive power. In the day's other news, U.S. Attorney General William Barr blasted the FBI's probe into links between Russia and the 2016 Trump campaign. The Justice Department's internal watchdog reported yesterday that despite mistakes in the way the investigation was carried out, it was not motivated by political bias. But Barr told NBC News today that the entire undertaking was baseless. I think our, our nation was turned on its head for three years. I think uh, 
based on a completely bogus narrative that was largely fanned and hyped by an irresponsible press. I think that leaves open the possibility to infer bad faith. Mr. Attorney General, why do you say that the FBI opened the investigation of the Trump campaign on the thinnest of suspicions? Well, I'm glad to get into the issue of predication, but let me just start out by saying that uh, I think you have to put this in context. I think the heart of uh, the IG's report really focused on how the investigation was conducted once it got going, and that is especially the very serious abuses of FISA that occurred, much of which has been, in my view, not accurately reported by the press over the last day. Uh, but in, in one area, I do disagree uh, with the IG, and that was whether there was sufficient predication to open a full-blown counterintelligence investigation, specifically using the techniques that they did uh, to collect intelligence about the Trump campaign. Can you start to see a pattern developing here? Barr, who starts off as a staunch Republican, who both sides of the aisle are hopeful, will put Trump in check and hold down the letter of the law, seems to slowly be eroding his own reputation by doing all these highly irregular unquestionably legal, or at a minimum, fair actions. This ongoing threat of behavior, of interfering with impartial prosecutions, prioritizing politics over justice, is not the bar the country thought it was getting. So the next move old Slick Willie does is Barr announces a new policy rule requiring the FBI and all other parts of the Justice Department to notify and obtain written approval from him before undertaking an investigation into presidential or vice presidential candidates. This effectively gives him veto authority over any potential future inquiry into Trump's conduct. Kind of convenient, don't you think? Barr defends the policy as a way to promote impartiality, stating, we must investigate and prosecute those matters with sensitivity and care to ensure that the department's actions do not unnecessarily advantage or disadvantage any candidate or political party. Ironically, previous department policy had pursued the same goal without giving so much decision-making power exclusively to the attorney general makes you think. Attorney General William Barr has issued new restrictions on opening investigations into politically sensitive individuals or entities, including a requirement that he approve any inquiry into a presidential candidate or campaign. Barr outlined the new policies in a three-page memo obtained by NPR as the Democratic primaries are underway and the country gears up for November's presidential vote. The memo was first reported by the New York Times. Barr's new restrictions follow a sharply critical report from the Justice Department's Inspector General on aspects of the FBI's Russia investigation, which began in the summer of 2016 during the presidential campaign and continues to ripple through American politics four years later. The IG report was particularly critical of the Bureau's surveillance of former Trump campaign aide Carter Page. The FBI and other intelligence agencies uncovered and documented an unprecedented campaign of active measures targeted against the United States, 
one that flummoxed the administration of President Barack Obama. The Bureau, and later Special Counsel Robert Mueller, also documented e extensive contacts between Russians and people in Trump's orbit. But Mueller did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired with the Kremlin in its election interference. The Justice Department, Barr's memo says, has a strong interest in the prosecution of election-related crimes, including those involving corruption of the election process. But, it says, we must investigate and prosecute those matters with sensitivity and care to ensure that the department's actions do not unnecessarily advantage or disadvantage any candidate or political party. The memo adds to existing Justice Department guidelines that caution officials against taking steps that influence an election. It spells out concrete restrictions for opening politically sensitive probes. Barr's memo says investigations, including preliminary ones, into a presidential or vice-presidential candidate, their campaigns or staff cannot be opened without the written approval of the Attorney General. It also says that an investigation into a congressional candidate or campaign cannot be opened without first notifying the Assistant Attorney General and the respective U.S. Attorney in the district involved. Barr's memo imposes the same requirements for investigations into illegal contributions, donations or expenditures by foreign nationals to a presidential or congressional campaign. If an investigation is initiated in line with these guidelines, the memo says, the investigating agency should provide regular updates to the Office of the Justice Department's No. 2 official, the Deputy Attorney General. It urges officials to err on the side of consulting with the appropriate officials or seeking their approval if there's any doubt. While the department must respond swiftly and decisively when faced with credible threats to our democratic processes, we also must be sensitive to safeguarding the department's reputation for fairness, neutrality, and nonpartisanship, the memo says. We're going to go lightning round now and see if you recall these buttes. Remember in June of 2020, where U.S. Park Police tear gas and violently remove peaceful protesters from Lafayette Square Park next to the White House allowing Trump to do a photo op at the nearby St. John's Episcopal Church holding a fucking Bible. Barr joined the photo and had been involved in the decision to clear protesters from the square. Forcibly clearing out protesters in this manner is a gross violation of First Amendment rights. Prior to the police action, according to a Justice Department official and White House press secretary, Kelly McEnany, I don't even know how to pronounce her name. Barr had ordered that the protester be cleared. Or how about this little gem? When in June 2020, Barr falsely announces U.S. attorney for the SDNY has resigned. Barr issues a statement claiming that Jeffrey Berman, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, has resigned. And that Craig Carpenito, the top federal prosecutor for New Jersey, would step in as Berman's replacement. But here's the best part. Berman responds by saying he hasn't resigned and does not intend to leave the position until the Senate confirms a nominee to take his place. In the last incident for a bonus round, on September 8th, the Justice Department moves to intervene in a civil suit filed against the president. Writer E. Jean Carroll, who has alleged that Trump sexually assaulted her in the 1990s, is suing Trump for defamation over his comments accusing Carroll of lying about the assault. While Barr describes the Justice Department move as normal, 
The department, in fact, only takes over the defense of government officials in civil suits when a case centers on the conduct undertaken in the course of a government role. Contrary to Barr's claim, the department's action is highly unusual since the suit relates to private conduct disconnected from government activity. Maybe Barr likes to grab the pussy too. I don't know. And the methods they used you think were appropriate? Is when that what they you're met saying? resistance, yes. After the speech is finished, the president then walks out of the White House to the same area where the protesters had been and stands for a photo op in front of the church where the protesters had been. These events look very connected to people at home. This is what I'm asking you. Did you know when you gave the green light for these actions to be taken that the president was going to be going to that very same area for a photo op? I gave the green light at 2 o'clock. Obviously, I didn't know that the president was going to be speaking later that day. You had no idea? No. No, I did not. Today, we unseal an indictment charge. This morning, one of the country's most powerful prosecutors is out of a job. Jeffrey Berman, fired by President Trump at the request of Attorney General William Barr. It came after a tense public standoff, which began when Barr announced Friday Berman was stepping down. Berman quickly issued a defiant statement saying he had no intention of resigning, leading Barr to ask President Trump to remove him from office, saying Berman chose, quote, public spectacle over public service. The president distancing himself on Saturday. In Chicago today, Attorney General William Barr defended the Justice Department's latest move to shield the president from legal exposure. So this was a normal application of the law. The law is clear. Uh, it is done frequently. Last night, the DOJ asked to take over as President Trump's defense in a defamation lawsuit filed by a woman who accused the president of raping her many years ago. In 2019, advice columnist E. Jean Carroll alleged that in the 1990s, then-businessman Donald Trump raped her in a New York City department store dressing room. The Justice Department's move would shift the venue from New York's Supreme Court to federal court and substitute in the U.S. government as the defendant instead of Mr. Trump. That would mean the federal government, rather than the president, would be on the hook to pay any financial damages the president's accuser might be awarded. Carroll's lawyer called last night's filing by the DOJ, quote, shocking. As well-trained as Trump's lapdog as Barkin Willie was, Master Donnie never properly housebroke him from shitting all over the country and our political and judicial systems. I mean, this guy really deserves his own show, not one episode. But I'll leave that to someone with a stronger stomach. What I figured I would do here is try to run through some of his recent greatest hits leading up to his departure or resignation. Funny how people resign when they know they're about to get shit-canned. But I digress. One of the more dubious and honestly pathetic moves by Barr was his willingness to defend the Trump cronies. Of course, we're talking about the dirty trickster Roger Stone and retired United States Army Lieutenant General, Trump National Security Advisor, Michael Flynn. So for the stoner, Barr submits a memo saying that Stone's sentencing could be considered excessive and unwarranted. I wonder what Stone had on Barr. 
Barr adamantly defended this decision, saying he agreed Stone should do some time, but not seven to nine years. And for Flanagan, he just has the DOJ drop the case. Timothy Shea, Barr's hand-picked interim U.S. attorney for the District of Columbia, files a motion to drop the prosecution of Michael Flint. This sparked an outrage in the halls of justice, prompting nearly 2,000 former Justice Department officials to call for Barr's resignation, which we got, but not when we wanted or needed. The wheels of misjustice just keep on spinning. And to go further, the saddest part of all this is no one really fucking cares. For more than four decades, Roger Stone has been a player in American politics. He rose to fame as a Republican political operative and self-described dirty trickster. He served as an informal advisor to Donald Trump for years, including during the 2016 presidential campaign. And today, in federal court in Washington, D.C., a jury found Roger Stone guilty of obstruction, witness tampering, and lying to Congress. These convictions stem from a case brought by former special counsel Robert Mueller as part of the Russia investigation. NPR's justice correspondent Ryan Lucas is back in the studio to tell us more. Welcome back. Thank you. Back in 2017, House lawmakers were investigating Russia's interference in the uh, in the 2016 election. Stone testified before Congress as part of that. Uh, this case against him stems from that appearance before Congress. And in that testimony, Stone lied to lawmakers about his efforts to contact WikiLeaks uh, during the campaign. He wanted to find out from WikiLeaks uh, what the group would, uh, was up to, what it planned to do with thousands of Democratic emails that it had in its possession. These are emails, of course, that the U.S. government says were hacked by Russia. And WikiLeaks ultimately did publish those emails during the campaign. Uh, and they became a big part of the discussion of that campaign. Um, as the government ultimately proved at trial, Stone also tried to intimidate a witness to not testify truthfully to Congress. Um, all of these actions amounted to obstructing the House investigation. And prosecutors, interestingly, during the, during the trial said that Stone did all of this in an effort to protect Trump. Nearly 2,000 former Justice Department officials are publicly and formally calling on Attorney General Barr to resign to get out of office for putting Donald Trump's personal and political interests over the rule of law. This is a group of officials from both parties. These are career lawyers who've basically served at the highest levels in Republican and Democratic administrations. All of this amidst the controversy over the Michael Flynn case. The DOJ making the unprecedented move to drop that case even after Mr. Flynn pled guilty in that case that grew out of the Mueller investigation. The letter calls for resignation, citing Barr's, quote, repeated assaults on the rule of law in doing Trump's personal bidding. Meanwhile, a former DOJ prosecutor who resigned in protest over what happened here in the Roger Stone case as well, speaking out for the very first time, writing that Barr's DOJ is now, quote, infected by politics, doing lasting damage to the institution, and calling out Bill Barr's, quote, unmistakable message to DOJ officials, if Trump demands it, we will throw you under the bus. 